You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast, and you're about to get a crash course in how much perfection sucks and how to perfectly quit it like yesterday. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast, where I make healthy living as fun as a party so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. This episode is enthusiastically sponsored by a product I couldn't swear by more if I tried. Four Sigmatic Mushrooms. I didn't say swear about more. I said swear by. I couldn't swear by the magic of mushrooms more if I tried. I originally tried a packet of Four Sigmatic Mushroom Tea in a glass of hot water because, well, I was gifted a free single packet of Four Sigmatic Mushroom Tea by a friend. I had no idea what it did or what was going to happen to me. And I was skeptical because this whole mushroom thing is trendy right now. And I'm always skeptical of trendy things. Read, I avoid trendy things to not be trendy. You know what I mean? But anyway, I drank the shrooms and I felt truly awesome. It's hard to explain. I just felt more awesome than before I drank it. Since then, I've ordered it and consumed about two packets of shrooms a day and I can't get enough. I am telling you, these mushrooms are magic. Although they don't make me hallucinate in a bathtub like my ex-boyfriend's famous magic mushroom experience, which honestly, he seemed way too proud of in hindsight. But hear this, I wasn't hallucinating the magical effects of these shrooms. They are ultra scientifically proven to boost immunity and gut health. Yes, please. And thank you. And the four different shrooms that Four Sigmatic uses most, hence the four in Four Sigmatic. Eh? I just got that too. Well, like three minutes ago. But they all do different epic things for your body. Rishi helps you relax. Cordyceps give you non-caffeinated energy for sports and stuff. Lion's mane, which does not come from my lion's mane, boosts your brain. That one's easy to remember. And chaga is, yeah, yeah, good for immunity issues like when you're traveling or feeling run down and or both. Okay, enough blabbering from me. I just finished a mushroom matcha latte. Oh, yeah, Four Sigmatic has mushroom matcha powder. If I could just stop blabbering for a damn second, I could tell you that because you listen to this podcast, thank you for that, you can save 15% off any and all Four Sigmatic shroom stuff you want to buy off their site, Four Sigmatic, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com using code PARTYINMYPLANTS to save that 15%, baby. Man, maybe I had way too much mushroom matcha. Okay, onward to the show. My guest today used to freak out about food, her body, and not being perfect enough. It sucked. It sucked a lot. Simi Bodich nearly ruined a lot of great big events in her life, like her proposal, which we talk about, and her honeymoon, which we also talk about, by giving way too many craps about her body. But Simi freaks out a lot less now. A lot, a lot less now. Like when she breaks glasses in her kitchen while baking cake, which we of course talk about, she doesn't give many hoots. Hell, when she eats cake, she doesn't give many hoots, which is almost unbelievable considering she used to give all of her hoots to every piece of food she ate that had like calories 
What I'm trying to say is that Simi broke up with perfection. And in this episode, we dive all the way into how she did that and what the heck that even means. This isn't an arbitrary conversation, by the way. Helping women give up perfectionism about their diet and exercise is exactly what Simi does for a living. In addition to being a coach, Simi just came out with a magnificent, hilarious, and heartfelt book called Letting Go of Leo, which is truly so good that one night I delayed watching The Bachelor to read Simi's book in bed. I hope you know how many volumes that speaks, or how big volumes that speaks, or how loud volumes it speaks. Well, how about I stop speaking and let Simi inspire you to take yourself to couples counseling? Yes, that is a thing we actually talk about too. Simmy, Simmy, Simmy. Your name just begs to be said on repeat. I'm so excited to have you on my show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I have been wanting to have you on for so long, but when you wrote this book, I just like it just spun me into action. So I'm so stoked that you put together this book that we can talk about and that we made time. And I'm rambling because I'm weirdly, very nervously excited to talk to you. <laughs> I feel so excited about our conversation today, and I love your podcast, and it's seriously such an honor to be on here with you. Thank you. Well, the first time I met you, the only time IRL I've met you, you were uh, breastfeeding. You were pumping. So I've got that nice image in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) So you can remember my my gorgeous bosom. (laughs) Yeah, it was gorgeous, and you were glowing, (laughs) and we got very intimate very fast. Yes, that's how I like to make friends fast, <laughs> just show my boobs and then it's all it's all uphill from there. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, so for those listening who don't know much about you and your bosom, can you tell them about <laughs> you and what you proudly help women with? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a health coach and a writer and a speaker and I I really help perfection obsessed women. Um, let go of that perfection and lean into their beautifully imperfect lives. So I help with their relationship with food and body image and their lives in general. Yeah, it's amazing. And um, it's awesome. And but you know, prior to launching your website and your coaching business and writing your book, which we'll talk about and everything that you just said, you were a corporate attorney. So a little bit different than what you do today. So tell me how you realized that all that lawyer stuff after all that schooling and you know, the suits wasn't what you wanted in your life anymore. Like how did you tune in and realize your passion had changed and give yourself permission to completely change courses into coaching women and helping them with their body and their confidence and their eating issues? Yeah. So I practiced as a corporate attorney for three and a half years. And a big part of realizing that that just wasn't where I was feeling called professionally was my own food struggles, my own body image struggles. And a big part of that a big part of that journey was I got help with um, struggling with restriction and and binge eating and over exercising. And for so long, I had really been living my life from a place of people pleasing and wanting to make the people around me happy and saying yes to the things that I thought would um, be impressive to other people or or would you know make them make them like me more or whatever it might be. And 
that that played into my relationship with food. Like I wanted to make my my body smaller and and what I believed at the time was like more attractive so that other people would, you know, be more accepting of me and I would feel like I fit in better. But it also definitely played into my career trajectory. So going to law school and becoming an attorney um, was something that I did not because it was something I'd always wanted to do or had like a big passion for, but just because I really felt like it was what I should do. Mm. And so when I was first practicing um, during law school and when I was first practicing, my my struggle with food was at like an all-time high. And so I finally ended up um, working with a health coach and a therapist to really help me with that struggle and to help me heal my relationship with food. And in doing so, I just honestly, like it sounds kind of cheesy, but I just really got to know myself a little bit better. And I was letting go of a lot of the rules that I had around food and movement. And all of a sudden I realized um, that I had a lot of rules in other areas of my life. And, And one of those areas had been with my career. And so I had this better relationship with myself and I was able to ask myself questions like, what do you really like or what do you feel called to do? And I realized that it was not being an attorney. So kind of went down this different path. And my first, my first health coach, like said to me, your mess will become your success. Like if you let it. And she really encouraged me to look into IIN and to become a health coach. And I didn't even know what a health coach was until I worked with her, but she was, she was so encouraging. And I looked into IAN and just decided, okay, I'll go to IAN as like a hobby. I'll do it on the side. I'll do it as a way to explore interests and see, you know, see what I enjoy and see if it's fun because for so long, um, kind of controlling my weight, trying to control my body, um, controlling food and, and exercising, it really was my whole life. So I didn't have a lot of hobbies outside of that. Yeah. And so as I started to heal my relationship with food and movement, all of a sudden I had a lot of room to fill. There was like a big void. I'm like, Oh my God, I don't even know what I like. I don't know what I like to do. I don't know how to have fun, you know, like all this big space to fill. So I went to IAN as something just to do for myself. And I ended up falling in love with it and, and loved coaching and started to build this business. And then eventually like, you know, took my career in this different direction. That's awesome. And you never looked back. No, no, but I don't, I don't miss it at all. I actually, I, I got to go, um, I got to go speak on a panel at the Supreme court, um, in Ohio a few weeks ago and I had to get, I had to pull a suit out Oh. and I literally had to dust it off. I was Ah. like, the suit has dust on it because it's been years. And so I, I took it out and I had to wear a suit and I, I mean, I felt like, I felt like I was playing dress up, but it was really, it was fun to go fun to go back. And also, um, just a a reminder that I'm exactly where I am supposed to be right now. So I haven't, there, there there've been no, no regrets, no regrets about like practicing in the first place. Cause I feel like I learned a lot and also no regrets about, about changing career paths either. What a great place to be in the land of no regrets. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, it sounds like, you know, based on your book, which is amazing, it's called Letting Go of Leo, referring to Leonardo DiCaprio, of course. Um, Of course. You know, you talk to Leo. Well, funny, (laughs) when I read it, I was like, Leo, like I was thinking astrology. Yes. Have you heard that before? Yes. My mom actually, my mom is a Leo and she was like panicked. (laughs) Um, when she heard the name of the book, she was like, wait, what is this book about? I'm like really worried. I was like, mom, it's no, it's not about like, like Leo's or like, you know, your horoscope sign or you or anything. I was like, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. 
So I think she she was panicked for a moment, but then had a big sense of relief. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Leah. I mean, it's awesome, Leonardo DiCaprio. So it's a book really about breaking up with perfection. And what you said on in the beginning of the interview is that you help women break up with perfection. So talk to me about perfection and what does perfection look like to you and mean to you? Because it sounds like almost what you're saying is you're in a perfect place right now in the sense of you have no regrets. And I feel like past Simi, based on everything I read in your amazing book, was not the type of person who would have been like, I'm at peace right now. So it sounds like, you know, perfection and perfectionism was was huge for you. So talk to me about what that looks like and why it was such a problem. Yeah. So I, I think if I had to define perfection, and this is like my own personal definition, yeah. this is probably not what it says in the dictionary, but this idea that um, that there's you know no no room for growth no nothing that you know would need to be changed everything would be easy everything would be pleasing to all people <laughs> so this i you know this completely unrealistic expectation that none of us can live up to because it's a moving target you know if for me perfection was that I would say, I would say a thing that would make everyone happy, that I would look away that would make everyone happy, that I would do a thing that would make everyone happy. And it just, you know, that that's not, that's not possible. And so I think perfection can show up in a lot of different, um, different areas of, of our lives. But for people who are seeking perfection, we put a lot of rules in place to try to get us there. We want to guarantee that, that we're going to be able to like execute something perfectly. So there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of yeses and a lot of nos. And, and, you know, you're trying to operate within this framework because, you know, it's not about wanting to be perfect. It's about what we think being perfect will do for us. So will I be more lovable or will I be more accepted or will I feel enough? Like once I can, you know, execute this thing perfectly or, or be, you know, perfect in this way. And that, that really is, you know, what it was for me. I just, I wanted people to, I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to accept me. I wanted to like never let anyone down and food and movement felt like a way that I could control myself in some way. And so that's really how it started getting, you know, projected on onto that like element of my life. And what I've what I've learned over the years and what I feel like has allowed me to get to this place where I really I can say, you know, like no regrets is mm-hmm. something that I share about in the book, which is this idea that there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. And it's really been about opening, opening my eyes to this idea that, you know, things are not meant to be easy. Things are not meant to be challenge free. Like we're allowed to have challenges, but if I'm willing to see them as growth opportunities, then it, it makes life a lot more meaningful and it allows me to be in this imperfect place where everything isn't easy. Everything isn't challenge free. Everybody isn't happy with me. I'm not like, you know, doing or saying or looking perfectly or whatever it might be, but the things that are creating resistance, like I'm able to lean into them a little bit more and see them as feel as, you know, feedback and see them as opportunities for growth and to know that, you know, everything in life is, is a work in progress and it's, we're never like at that destination. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And is there an example that comes to mind of something not, you know, when a time when you could have interpreted something as failure, but instead you interpret it as feedback? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm thinking about 
an example today. <laughs> uh, can, uh, like a very, a, a very recent example. Um, this morning I, so we have a, a wonderful nanny Bridget. She comes to the house like three days a week when I see clients and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, my friend Claire brings her daughter over also. So Osh, my son and Ada are here with Bridget and they're playing. And this morning when Claire dropped her daughter off, my son took a drumstick and hit his friend in the face with it. And I had this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I am an awful mom. Like my kid just hit another kid. I'm totally failing. I am just like a, you know, I'm, I'm terrible mom. I'm a failure as a mom. And I was able to take a step back and be like, okay, wait a second. This is like a learning opportunity. I can learn how to communicate with him in these tough moments. I can learn how to like guide him through these moments. Like we can teach about like conflict and conflict resolution. And like, this is not a failure of a moment. This is just an opportunity for growth. And, um, that, so like, that's like a very, you know, immediate thing that just happened, but even something bigger would definitely have been my struggle with, with food and body image. Like there were so many days when I was struggling with it that I felt like a failure. Like when I would have a binge or when I couldn't follow my, my diet plan perfectly, like I just felt such a deep sense of failure. And now when I look back at that time, I'm able to see all of those little like quote unquote failures as just moments of feedback. Like Hey Sim, this way of living like isn't working for you, or your body's really craving something, or this restriction is this restriction is you know not healthy for you. It's not it's not good for you. Like these binges are a reaction to that restriction. Like there's so much feedback in there, but because I was like labeling it as failure for so long, I wasn't able to like really receive receive those messages. I love it. So it's really about changing the label, you know, mm-hmm. like changing the event to not mean, oh, this is a failure. I'm a failure. It's, you know, the whole thing just went to shit. Like this is a learning experience. Like you did this morning when your son bopped someone with his. I know. It's like so awful. Oh my God. Maybe he was just, you know, flirting. Maybe. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm like, this is just terrible. (laughs) No, no, it's feedback. (laughs) Yes, exactly. exactly. That's awesome. You know, what's fascinating as you're telling your story a little bit is that you thought it's not fascinating. It's sad that you thought that if you controlled your food and your exercise, that that would equate to people liking you Mm -hmm. from somebody like myself who actually has never thought that way or had issues Mm -hmm. in that way. Are you able to just communicate to me just so I understand and people listening, like how, from what it sounds like to me are totally different things. Like if I run today, like I can't imagine that somebody would like me more or less, but are you able to like go back into that time and kind of articulate why you put those two things together? Sure, totally. So I think it's wonderful that that is not something that you've that you've struggled with. And I think that's so fantastic. And I hope there's a lot of women listening who have never struggled with that. But if for those of us who have, it's this, there are oftentimes these like experiences that, you know, we have in life. And I had some experiences in life where I would get like positive affirmation or encouragement when I was smaller or when I lost a little bit of weight or about a way that I looked and, you know, just teeny tiny little comments that are like really normal in society, like complimenting someone for losing weight Mm -hmm. or hearing people talk about women's bodies um, in a way that kind of glorifies like a thinner, more slender body over, you know, a, a larger curvier body. And then also moments 
with, um, and I share about this in the book, but moments with, you know, actresses that I would see where I was like, oh, she's smaller than me and she's, and she's famous and she's getting yeah, all this attention. Person. And yeah, exactly. And so Going on vacation. just a lot of, <laughs> yeah, a lot of images, a lot of little, a lot of little moments, a lot of little comments that just kind of confirmed for me, you know, over the years that my body is more acceptable if mm-hmm. it's smaller. And so for someone who just really deeply wanted to be accepted, I, realized that if I could make myself smaller, people would notice and people would comment and people would seem to like accept and like me more at that size. Wow. And I'm not saying that that's actually true. I'm not saying people actually did like me better when I was smaller or that that was, you know, the reality. But in my mind, that was a picture that I painted for myself. Right. And it felt like a way that I, that I could control that. And when you have this idea that you are more lovable when you're smaller, you will do anything to get there because human beings, I think, you know, all of us can connect on the desire to be loved and to be accepted and to feel like we belong. And that I think is something that is just a very human, a very human like need and human desire. And so when that desire gets, um, you know, gets linked to the way that your body, that your body looks, like that's where that almost like compulsion to control how I looked and control my food and control my exercise really came from was because I, it was so tied into my worth as a person. Wow. I really appreciate you explaining that. And that's such a helpful look inside your brain as you were going through this. And what would I find really interesting and really important is that you're like, well, that it's not, you're not saying it's necessarily true. Like it doesn't sound yep. like you got people saying, yes, Simi, if you are size X, Y, Z, you, we will like you more. And, it, and to the contrary, I mean, you were on your honeymoon when you really hit your rock bottom. Now, on your honeymoon, mm-hmm. you just had a person tell you that for no matter what, for the rest of his life, he wants to be by your side, no matter what size you are, no matter what you eat, whatever. And that still wasn't really enough for you. You didn't get that, you know, you just still didn't believe it, I guess. So, Tell us about your honeymoon kind of rock bottom experience, because that's when it sounds like your whole life, you know, flipped on its head and then got worse, but then, you know, got a hell of a lot better. Totally. Yes. And you bring up such a good point that this is not everyone's experience, that my experience was that I actually was surrounded by a lot of people who did love me and didn't give a crap about how big or small I was, like, including my now husband and my family and a lot of friends. And I actually was very loved. I just wasn't able to receive it at the time. And when I was on my honeymoon, we um, we were in Quebec City and it was just, it was such a, have you ever been to Quebec City? I have not, but I've only heard great things. It's so beautiful. It's so romantic. We got married in October. So it was like the fall and they kind of go all out with fall decorations. It was very lovely and beautiful. And we were there and we had come home from dinner and we had been out at dinner and had eaten, you know, a delicious meal. There was French fries and there was wine and just a more decadent meal than what I had been allowing myself to eat. And I was, you know, counting calories at the time. And I had a long list of food rules, things that I was allowed to have and things that I wasn't allowed to have. And, you know, the dinner was just so outside of the realm of what I was comfortable with and outside of my rules and my control. And I had no idea how many calories were in things. And 
So the entire time at dinner, I'm just like in my head trying to figure out what I'm eating, what's in there, how many calories I have, how many miles I have to run the next day, you know, to fix this, this problem that I created at dinner. And that was really like how my, how my mind was honestly all the time. Like it wasn't just on my honeymoon. That's really what my internal dialogue was constantly at that time in my life. And and we got home and I had, you know, been gifted like all this lingerie for our honeymoon. So I was kind of having a little bit of an internal um, panic moment about everything that I had eaten. And so I, you know, went to the bathroom. I was like, I'm going to put something sexy on whatever. I'll be, I'll be back out. But really like went to the bathroom to have a panic attack and like a breakdown about everything that I had eaten and just how disgusting I felt in my own skin and just really awful. And, you know, Tim came to me and he was very supportive, but also really honest with me about how the things that I was saying about myself, you know, were very scary to him as someone who, who did and does love me. And he didn't like me saying such negative things about myself. And it was really hard for him to hear. And also he just really encouraged me to get help because like he said, you know, it shouldn't be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. And I really don't think you're seeing yourself in a way that is based in reality. Like Mm -hmm. there's something, there's like a distortion going on here. So that happened on my honeymoon. And then when I got home from my honeymoon was when I sought out support and connected with the health coach and connected with the, the therapist. And I think what I ultimately discovered on my, on my journey was that yes, people had made comments about, you know, my weight or about my body or about other women's bodies that I had heard, but I was surrounded by people who loved me, like regardless of those things. And it was, it was so much more, it was so much less about me needing to be loved by other people and so much more about me needing to learn how to love myself and how to really show up for myself and accept myself. Um, and I made it about other people yeah. and I made it about pleasing other people and making other people happy. But what I ultimately found out was that at the end of the day, it was about me accepting and loving myself. And it was so much more of, of an internal deficiency than an external deficiency, even though I had been like projecting it on everyone around me for so, so many years. Um, it was really about like my relationship with myself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, totally. I I mean, you're so insightful. You're so well-spoken. I love that you, you know, you say what, there are many people that write about this topic and share their journeys, but you just have this uh, innate quality to just say it. Like you just say it so clearly and just really tell the truth. And I so appreciate that. And I I think that is so on point that it, you know, I mean, I obviously like it's your journey, but that it was a a love, self-love deficiency. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't like other people were like, Sumi, just like fit into the size zero bathing suit and like, we'll love you forever. You know, they didn't care. They, they loved you and you had to, you know, be able to receive it, as you said. Totally. And I, I think that whenever we are in a place in our life where we are looking for our sense of self-worth and acceptance and love from, you know, external places and looking like outward for that, that it's always going to leave us feeling like we are like we're falling short. And it is so much about like finding that within yourself. And I mean, it does take work and it can take time and it can be like a healing journey depending on, you know, where someone is in their relationship with themselves. But it is so, it is so worth it. And it is so powerful. And just even by like loving and accepting myself, I actually 
the crazy thing is that my external relationships have also improved because I'm able to show up so much more fully for other people. Like I shared with you kind of my internal mental dialogue when I was on my honeymoon. And I mean, that's what was going on in my head 24 seven. So you can imagine how like absent I was in conversations and in moments. And you know, that takes a toll that takes a toll on your relationships when you're never fully present with those people. And also, you know, when you are denying yourself love and acceptance, you're not open to fully receiving it from other people either. So not only do I feel like I'm able to, you know, just be more present with the people in my life and love them better, but I'm also so much more open to receiving their love and and receiving their acceptance, which was there all along. I just wasn't like, I just wasn't open to receiving it. I think myself and probably everybody listening right now is like gripping their seats or their steering wheel or their laundry basket, whatever they're doing. And like, Simi, how did you do it? Because you're (laughs) so honest and open about where you were. And I know from reading your book about where you are now, I mean, there's a lot in between. So what is like some of the stuff you did to get from honeymoon status to like badass, confident, helping other women go through what you've successfully come out on the other side of? Like, what did you do? Fill in the gaps. Totally. So there's definitely a few years in there that the gap is, the (laughs) gap is a few years wide. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. It's such a broad, Um, stupid question. No, it's a great question. And I always like to say just that it took time only because obviously like my story is going to resonate with perfectionists, right? Like I was a perfectionist, so it's going to connect with perfectionists. And so I just always like to say like it took time because a perfectionist is going to want to like snap their fingers and have this done right away. And they're going to beat themselves up like when they haven't like healed their entire life's journey overnight. Mm -hmm. So I'm always like, it takes time. (laughs) But I mean, at the core of what happened like in those couple of years was that I had to basically go to like couples counseling with myself. (laughs) And it was just like straight up relationship (laughs) work. Like funny. If you think, if you think about like going to couples counseling with another person, you know, you're working on, you're working on trust, you're working on honesty, you're working on communication, you're working on spending quality time together, you're working on speaking to each other, you know, with compassion and love. And these were all of the things that I had to learn how to do with myself. And it was like being literally like, you know, I get back from my honeymoon, I'm essentially in what is like an abusive relationship with myself. And there's like no option of leaving because you can't leave yourself. Like you're just stuck with yourself forever. And so I'm like in this abusive relationship with myself and I start essentially what were years of like couples counseling. And it was learning how to be honest with myself. So learning to let go um, of a lot of the lies and stories that I was telling myself, you know, about what I needed to be for other people or what other people expected of me you know, a lot of the names, like names that I called myself or, you know, derogatory things that I thought about myself or limiting beliefs that I had about myself and who and who I could be and what life could look like. I had to let go of a lot of those things. And I actually think of like perfectionism as like the most limiting belief of all. People sometimes think it's like having high standards for themselves, but it's not. It's a completely limiting belief because when you limit yourself to perfect, like every single thing that you do, every single thing that you experience falls short of that. And 
you're never, you're never going to get there. So you literally just limit yourself from experiencing Mm -hmm. all of the goodness that life has to offer. So working through like letting go of those, those limiting beliefs, working through letting go of all or nothing mentality, um, and letting go of a lot of rules and learning to live like in the gray area of life where everything isn't figured out and I'm not in control and I can just show up present in the moment and navigate like what actually exists and what actually is in front of me with gratitude and with appreciation for myself and feeling like I, you know, am doing life with my best friends like me and that we're going to get through it together and that I have like support and love through all of that. So it was, it was a lot of just you know, simple yet complex relationship work. That's, I love the analogy and just the, the image in my mind of you like sitting there in a therapist's office, like on two couches, kind of like, right? or like leaping back and forth between two chairs. Like, what do you feel about this to me? Oh, wait, I feel this. Like, totally. just, like yeah. I don't know. I love that. That's so funny and awesome and amazing. And I think, you know, even if we're not perfectionists or, you know, struggling in the same exact way as you were, everyone can develop more self-compassion. Yep. And I feel like your book is just really straightforwardly about your journey to developing self-compassion. I love how you take us into your head as you went through so many, you know, you have so many stories in there and a lot of them are about like, okay, Simi, should I hate myself right now for this X, Y, Z or let this go? You know, there's so mm-hmm. many moments of that. And even the story you told us of this morning, should I be mad at myself, hate myself for being the worst mom, consider this a failure, or should I turn it into feedback? And so if somebody's struggling listening right now with their own self-compassion, you know, what are some ways that they can rev that up inside of themselves? Totally. I think if you're, if you're wanting to, if you're wanting to work on um, self-compassion, I think a really good place to start is journaling through some of the negative things that you're saying to yourself. Because if you're struggling with self-compassion, then your default like subconscious reaction is going to say something not very compassionate, right? Mm -hmm. So I think getting those words, um, getting those words out onto paper and then starting to process through them like in your journal can be really helpful. So get them out and say, you know, the nasty words or the, you know, uncompassionate thing that you're saying to yourself, put it out there on paper. And then, you know, go one line lower and say, like, what else might also be true here that would feel more empowering? So start to work on, like, reframing the internal dialogue that you have with yourself. And then another great, like, prompt to help you to start to flex those self-compassion muscles would be to say, like, if someone who I really cared about and who I have a really great relationship with, maybe it's a sister, maybe it's a best friend or a romantic partner or whatever it might be, like came to me and shared this, the struggle that I experienced today and the reaction that I had to myself, if they shared that they were having that reaction to themselves, like what truth would I offer them? Like what, what truth would I offer them this moment? And I, I always like to say, people are like, I don't want to lie to myself. They think that compassion is lying, but I, I think of compassion as really like loving honesty. I never believe that when you're being compassionate with yourself, that you're lying to yourself. So it's not about like painting a really awful situation flowery. Like this morning with Osh, like hitting another kid. I wasn't just like, it's cool. Everything's fine. Like he's just, he's just like working his arm muscles. Like I'm not turning it into something that it isn't, you know, it's like, okay, we, 
this is an opportunity for like development. This is not a situation we want to be fostering. Like, how can we, how can we like work through this? So compassion isn't about lying to yourself or making something like rainbows and unicorns, but it's about saying like, let me be, let me be honest with you and not like mean or vindictive, but really like kind and loving and flexing those, flexing those muscles, like through journaling can be really, really powerful because if you're struggling with compassion, then you likely have a lot of inner dialogue going on. And sometimes it's hard. Um, it's hard to see like the forest through the trees. So, you know, letting it out onto paper or like writing it on paper can be really, really, um, can be really powerful. Like letting it out with Katie Dale Bell. Yeah. That's so funny. I think I said letting it out. I was like, and that is a perfect plug for our wonderful friend, Katie Dale Bell's journaling book, let it out a journey through journaling. Yes. Hey house Inc. (laughs) That's so funny. And she wrote the forward of your book. So, you know, and that's she did. It you. all ties together. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I think a common theme in your book and in what we were just talking about is like pausing before you emote. And oh my God, I laughed out loud at your chapter of your book called That's a Lot of Pressure for a Pair of Pants. <laughs> and I I mean, talked about the brilliant you know thought process that you taught yourself to go through before giving meaning or power to things, you know, that you, once you realize that giving meaning or power to things is actually a choice. Absolutely. Like something I am a very, I mean, you read the book, you know, I'm a very emotional person and (laughs) I'm, I'm fine with that. Like, I like (laughs) that. I, I like that. I feel a lot of things. I've got a lot of feelings and like just emoting all over the place over here constantly. But what I had (laughs) to learn was there's nothing wrong or nothing to be ashamed of with being an emotional person. I don't need to apologize for that, but also feelings are not facts. (laughs) All, you know, mm-hmm. feelings are not always facts and I'm not necessarily like my feelings. And so really being able to take a step back from a situation and saying like, okay, what am I making the situation mean? And is that like the meaning that I want to give to it has been really, really powerful for me because I am an emotional person and I don't want, I don't want to lose that. Like, I think it allows me to practice empathy and, and compassion and to connect deeply, like in my relationships, but also there's a, there's a side of it where if I let my, if I let my emotions, you know, drive the ship all the time, like it's not necessarily like serving, serving myself like in the best way. So asking myself those questions has been really, really game changing. Yeah. You can choose your emotion. You can choose how you react to things. You know, like you said, feelings are not facts. You like, you have a great story. I'm trying to remember the full details. I read it, I think last night, but you were baking bread, banana bread. And mm-hmm. so you said, I'm going to remember, because, okay, so we'll talk about your book book at the end of this, because I have a lot of book questions, because you're such a phenomenal writer, but I'm saving those towards the end. But you paint this very vivid picture. You say that, like, you never follow a recipe, and you get recipes, you get food, right, like 23% of the time, because you just wing it all the time. And you wung this banana bread, and it came out phenomenally and you were stoked on life. And then, I don't know, all of a sudden you broke a glass. And yes, you could have turned that moment into a disaster. It sounds like old Simmy would have spiraled and cried and been like, oh my God, I can't win at anything. I'm the worst. And you had said your husband was on the couch sleeping and then you could have gotten mad at him and been like, maybe if you weren't sleeping, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> and like cursed like your home and been like, God, this shelf isn't whatever. But you paused and you decided to not 
do that. Like that's a choice that you made. Yep. And that to me, reading your whole book, because this is one of the last chapters, it just shows how far you've come. And it's just a great lesson for other people that you choose how you react to things. I just can't emphasize that enough because that it, to me is like the crux of your book that you learned yep. how to choose to react to things and what things to give importance to and what things to help you, you know, feel confident and, and worthy and what things you know, that should take away your confidence. And yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I am so glad that that resonated with you because that, I mean, that has, that's been like so huge for me in my, in my own life, just to feel empowered in my life to, to say like, oh my gosh, like I can, I can choose how to move forward. I can choose how to, how to react. It doesn't mean the feeling isn't there first, but it's like, I don't have to I don't have to let this feeling like make me flail all around. Like I can take a minute and process it and then like make a choice and how to move forward. And also just about Tim napping, he like, he gets so mad at me because he jokes that I make his brand on Instagram. He's like, You're, I'm like, my brand on Instagram is like lazy husband. Who's always like napping on the or couch. Eating. Because I'll, like, take, yeah, because, exactly. Cause I'll like take pictures of him always like eating or napping and he's like people think I don't do anything else and I think it's so funny <laughs> well so he was yeah. like of course that of course that story would make it into the book where I'm like napping <laughs> oh my god also when you told your story about giving birth you had the most hilarious <laughs> line about how he just ate through your entire like delivery and you say like <laughs> they keep like I don't know when your water broke you like ate jerky and you're like he calm down beef jerky. <laughs> yeah you're like calm down it's like put away the buttered popcorn it's not a movie <laughs> oh my so gosh funny. he was just sitting there like eating jerky staring at me I was like <laughs> oh my god why is this happening it was so funny and he I actually like wasn't gonna put that part in the story because I know him and I know how incredible he was but I was like this like might not make you look the best and he was like no you have to put it in it's like so funny and it Aww. is so funny and it's like so awesome. so I'm glad that he I'm glad he like approved that part of the story because it was a very it was a very real situation at the hospital him just like eating all the snacks that we packed like <laughs> while I was in labor <laughs> so funny drinking all your coconut water Yes. <laughs> well, I don't think you or him have anything to worry about him not coming off as the best because I mean the one of the hugest takeaways I took away from your book was like holy crap, we all need a Tim. <laughs> like yes. Like oh my god, like he's like the most important character, you know, second to you, but he is. Like my goodness, he's been there through thick and thin and juice cleanses and Oreos and mm -hmm. I mean, he seemed like so wise and patient knowing that you would eventually get your shit together. Like it just sounds like through all your struggles and all the stories you told, he was just like, I get it, girl. Like I'm here when you come around, I'll, I'll be waiting. And so I can imagine it's sad, but I can imagine that there are people that might read your book and feel like I don't have that. And yes. I, I feel sad for that idea. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for those people that are like, how do I help my person support me the way that Simi had her person support her? I know it's a tough question. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, like really quickly, I agree with you too, that like Tim is the most important character. And I feel like he really like was such a like North star through all of this journey and like so incredibly supportive. And I'm just, I could like cry just thinking about how I feel like the whole time he saw like who I really was, I even though I couldn't see that. Yeah. So yes, he is just such a special guy, but for people who are, who are in a, in a relationship or you know, and want to feel, want to feel supported. I really, I really believe that 
when we are in a partnership with someone, if it's a partnership that is, you know, good for us and it's a, it's a right partnership for us, then that person, even if they don't know how to support you wants to support you. I really, really believe that. Um, and of course there are situations where it's like this, this person is not right for you or this relationship is not, you know, healthy for you, not in your best interest, but for the relationships where it's like these, these people are, they do love each other and they do want to take care of each other. Sometimes we want to support, but we don't know how. And I think that the best thing that we can do in those situations is to get clear on what it is that we need from our partner. And that can be hard too. Sometimes that's something that you have to discover in your own personal therapy or, you know, with your own personal coach or counselor or whatever it might be. Get really clear on what you need to feel supported from that partner. And then ask them for exactly what you need. And it's so important to remember that like our partners are not mind readers. They can't be expected to know exactly what we need all the time and be Mm -hmm. expected to say the perfect thing. And sometimes when we're, when we're putting pressure on ourselves to, to be perfect, we can put pressure on other people to be perfect too. So just be, you know, conscientious if that's something that you're doing. If you have unrealistic expectations for, for your partner and get clear on your needs and articulate those needs in a, in a clear and thoughtful way to that person and ask them if they're open to supporting you. And sometimes you can be in a relationship where you're both saying the same thing, but it's like you're speaking different languages. So you can't understand each other. And in those moments where you're like, I'm asking for what I need he's trying to give me what I need, but we're like not meeting in the middle. Like it's not translating. Mm -hmm. I am like a huge proponent of like couples counseling and therapy. And Tim and I have, Tim and I have, um, you know, seen an amazing woman. Her name's hope. I like tell everyone I poor hopes probably like stop sending people to me. I like can't take all these clients, but she is so wonderful. And she really has helped us with our communication and she was incredibly, incredibly an important part of our relationship because when I know Tim wants to support me and I know I want to support him and sometimes it just doesn't translate. Yeah. And so she's really helped us learn how to speak the same language, I guess I would say. I love that. And so if you're communicating your needs and you know your partner is like wanting to meet those needs, but there's a disconnect and you've really tried to process through that disconnect on your own, like, I think it's, I think therapy and counseling is a beautiful thing to help you learn those skills. And I don't think it means there's anything wrong with your relationship. I I literally think it's an opportunity to grow deeper in your intimacy. I fully, wholeheartedly, a thousand percent agree. Jesse and I have seen somebody together as well. And the same language thing is on point. That is exactly what we did. I mean, we were going through an issue and it was, it was an issue kind of outside the relationship, but the way we would talk about it, we just weren't, like you said, speaking the same language. We both Mm -hmm. wanted the exact same outcome, but we could not do it. We couldn't talk about, we just, every time it was just like, just not making sense. And yeah, working with somebody to help us speak the same language, like you just said, is just, it was, it was game changing. And we didn't go in there thinking like, oh, we're so messed up. Like, God, this is so embarrassing. Like we're the worst, like whatever. We were like, we're excited to connect even deeper. And so that was a different issue. But, you know, even if you're dealing with your own issues to be able to articulate that to somebody and have them be able to help you. Cause you're right. Your partner's going to want to help you no matter what, but they're yep. not the expert and they can't read your mind. And sometimes they don't know how to say the right thing. So totally 
on your side with that. And for people who are listening, who are like, actually, I think I might be in a relationship with someone who doesn't want to support me or doesn't want to meet me where I'm at. And there's like, you know, an, an issue with the relationship where you feel like it, even if it's not about like not speaking the same language, it's like something different. And that person like really isn't supportive or loving towards you. I just cannot encourage you enough to really build a strong relationship with yourself because you were going to say that. Yes. As you, (laughs) I feel like as you are doing that, like, and this is true, I think for everyone, like as you are learning how to value yourself, the way that you allow other people to treat you is going to change. Like your standard is going to rise as, as you value yourself more. And naturally there are going to be people who are not going to be able to value you or who choose not to value you in the way that, in the way that you um, are demanding in the way that you deserve. And I think it's only natural in growth and development and, and evolution for each of us in our lives that some relationships will not stand the test of time. And there will be relationships that will end or that will fall to the wayside, whether it's romantic or friendship or whatever it might be. And that for me, like as someone who just cares so much about the people in my life, like, I mean, I could start crying just thinking about relationships ending. Like it's so heartbreaking. It's so sad. But if they are not willing and able to value you the way that you deserve, then as heartbreaking and as hard and as sad as it is to have to let that go, like that is also part of this, of this journey of letting things go. It's also like letting some relationships go and knowing that not everything is meant to last forever. And as sad as that is, it's also okay. Yes. Yes. I don't know what to say. What what more do I say than yes? (laughs) I'm with you on that. And that is sad. And let's turn it around to positivity. Well, no, let's talk about a relationship that maybe I think ended for you, which is your relationship to running, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. So running is a major relationship throughout your book. It sounds like you started running because you thought it would make you skinny. And then you kind of went a little cray-cray with it. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, tell us about that. And then also, while you're there, tell us about how it all came to a head when you got engaged. Unless you don't want to spoil the story and want people to read it. But it's such a crazy, amazing, like, I cried story. So, your call. Well, (laughs) I am so happy to share the story. I started running in college. And I had gained some weight my freshman year in college. And was just sort of like in a panic, none of my clothes fit and had some friends who were really into running. And so I started running with them and they were distance runners. Like they were doing half marathons and marathons. So I would go out running with them. And, um, I just want to say like one little like caveat, I'm not like anti-running or anything. I never want people to think that my story is like anti-running or that I think running is bad at all. I just happened to be someone who took it to the extreme and had like a very unhealthy relationship with it. So for any runners listening, I don't want them to feel like I'm like bashing their form of movement or You're anything You're not run like that. shaming but, right now? So yes. No, no, no. I appreciate totally you not. saying that because I love running. And then, you know, as I was reading your book, I was like, crap, like, am I screwing up by running? You know, no, I appreciate you saying that for sure. Because you're not bashing running. You're just bashing the, not bashing even, but sharing uh, the negative relationship you built with running. That's why we say it ended. (laughs) Exactly. 
Exactly. It was, it was way more about me than it was about running. Yes. <laughs> and it could have been, it could have been any form of movement at that point, And I would have attached to it, it in that it, way. It but was you. It's not you. It's yes, me. <laughs> exactly. It's not you. It's me running. I'm sorry. I have to let you go. Um, that's hilarious. So I started running and when I, when I started running consistently, I lost the weight that I had gained during freshman year and my pants started to fit and that felt really good. And then from there, I was like, I want to run more. And I started running longer distances. And I just really got into this mindset where I didn't know how to function. If I hadn't run my miles that day, everything was about that. Like I would skip classes to get runs in. If I like couldn't wake up early enough, I would cancel plans with friends to get runs in. It was yeah. for sure an addiction. Like I was very addicted to running and to what I thought it was doing for me. And I was terrified to let it go because in my mind, running meant I could fit in my pants and not running meant that I couldn't. And that was very scary for me. So became super hooked on it. And that's something that, you know, I carried with me for a while. I even, when I was running the Chicago uh, marathon for the first time, I was, I had a stress fracture and I didn't listen to the doctor and I ended up you know, running on, um, running on that stress fracture. And during the Chicago marathon, I literally broke my ankle like halfway through Oh my god! and had to be in a boot for, I had to be in a boot for like months. And I would go to the gym in this boot in college every single day. And I would get on the elliptical and I would elliptical in this boot with this broken ankle, the number of miles that like I would have run that oh day. So like, just to kind of give a perspective of like what was, you know, going on in my mind, I just was so terrified to let it go. And there was nothing that could stop me. And when I, so I graduated from undergrad, I moved to Chicago, Tim and I moved to Chicago. We, we met in, we met in undergrad and then moved to, moved to Chicago. And I was in law school there and we went for, well, first of all, Tim, when he would run with me and I share about this in the story, he would always say, let me go for a run with you. But like 10 minutes in, he'd say like, can we walk? And clearly from what I just shared with you, like I was not open to walking. Yeah, not okay. And so <laughs> no bueno. it was not okay. So I didn't like running with him because I felt like he was really holding me back from, you know, checking this thing <laughs> off the list. Yes, exactly. So one morning we woke up and he, he said that, you know, he wanted to go for a run with me and to give a little bit of context to that, we had talked about, um, getting engaged. Like it, you know, the conversation had come up a few times and we had talked about how, you know, maybe it would happen by a certain day. And that day was like approaching and he kept planning these dates for me. And I thought he was going to propose on all these dates and then he didn't. And so in my mind, I started to feel like, oh my gosh, he's backpedaling. He doesn't want to get married. Mm-hmm. And I brought it up to him once and he acted like really weird. I was like, do you still feel like, you know, you want to like marry me? Is this still something? And he got like super weird and was like, I don't, I, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's really (laughs) strange. And now in hindsight, I know he had ordered the ring and it was being designed and it was like late a bunch of times. So like he planned all these proposals and then like couldn't follow through. And he was acting weird because he didn't want me to find out. And so there was like all these dynamics going on, but. So he asked me to go for a run, go to go for a run with me that morning. And so we start to run and, you know, typical Tim, we're a little ways in and he tells me that he needs to take a break. He's like, I need to take a break. Like, can we walk? Can we like chill out? Whatever. My ankle hurts. And so 
I was so annoyed and I was like, just sit here. I'm going to finish the run. So I left him. <laughs> I left him, um, you know, by the lake in Chicago, sitting like sitting on the lakeshore <laughs> path and went and ran a couple more miles and came back. And <laughs> he and then he told me that he had something that he wanted to ask me. And Meanwhile, you were like mad at him while you were running. You were like, he's holding me back. Why do you even come? Got to get my miles in. Like you explained all the crazy inner dialogue you were experiencing, which makes the story even more hilarious and heartwarming. But yeah, sorry, I interrupted you for the climax, but you came back and then. Yes, I mean, like totally fuming, so annoyed. (laughs) And then he starts to talk to me. And in my mind, I was like, oh my God, he's breaking up with me. Like, I'm not sitting down for this. Like, he wants me to sit down. Like, I'm not sitting down for this. Like, if he's going to break up with me, like, I've got to be able to run home. Like, I'm not going to stand here and be humiliated. And then, of course, like, I ruined, you know, the entire proposal and he asked me to marry him. But the the good thing is that the, the marriage is awesome, even though I really jacked up the proposal. <laughs> and the honeymoon. <laughs> no big yeah, deal. and the honeymoon. Really just, Kill I it, really Simi. took down some. I took down some really wonderful moments. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I love it. It's so funny. And I love how, you know, humble you are to share these stories. It just it just it helps these you help through stories. And it's awesome. And so for somebody listening who's like, ooh, I might be a little bit addicted to running or, you know, ooh, I might not really have like a balanced exercise situation. Like, how do you how begin to help, you know, your clients or and yourself, you know, have a healthy relationship with exercise? Sure. So I think like one of the great first things that you can do, um, if you feel like that might be something that you're experiencing is just start to notice some of the rules or shoulds that you have around movement. So examples would be, I have to, I have to work out six days a week, or I have to work out seven days a week or anything less than 30 minutes of cardio doesn't count. Or if my heart rate isn't this high, or if I haven't burned this many calories, it doesn't count. So really starting to look at, um, at some of the rules and like implemented structure and restriction that you might have around movement and start to, um, start to create positive experience outside of those rules. So if you, if you have this idea, like I have to do cardio for 30 minutes, start playing around with doing cardio for like a really random number of minutes, like 26 minutes or like something really, like something really weird. And it might sound for anyone who like hasn't struggled with this, they're like, this probably sounds ridiculous. But for someone who has a rule about 30 minutes or, or nothing, like yeah, or nothing less, yeah. yeah, it's really hard. And so you want to start, you know, moving away from, from those rules and into more flexibility. And maybe you experiment with a different type of movement. Maybe you experiment with doing something totally like non-movement related on a day when you would. And, and that might be enough. Like you might be able to just, you know, release that and really find more of a flexible, intuitive kind of movement, you know, ask yourself what would feel good to your body, ask yourself what your body's craving and try and honor that. And if that feels really hard, then I would definitely encourage, encourage seeking support or someone who, someone who can, can support you in that goal of having a more flexible, intuitive, like nourishing relationship with movement. So it sounds like rules and shoulds and intense structure is a sure, you know, sure tell sign that something's a little bit not great. Yeah. I mean, I think when, when we're in that kind of situation, it just doesn't allow, it doesn't allow space for us to take the best care of ourselves. Like if I have a rule that I have to run six miles a day, six days a week, 
there's no room in there for me to account for what my body needs or or what might be fun or or what like would feel good or do I need a break or do I need rest? So any any kind of rule or structure that makes it hard or impossible for us to to really take care of our real selves and honor our real needs, mm-hmm. I think that's a I think that's an issue. And and anytime that you know, like we're attaching our morality to these kinds of things. Like that's also an issue. Like, am I a good person if I run six miles or a bad person if I don't? Like if that, if our inherent worth or value is being attached to these behaviors, then, then I would say that that's also a red flag. I have a weird question for you. What if you attach pride to that? Like for me, I feel proud of myself when I go to the gym and and complete a workout that I really wanted to achieve. Is that, I mean, is that cool? (laughs) Is pride okay? I think if you're in a situation where you're like, I really want to go do this workout. I'm so excited to challenge myself. I went, I did it. I'm so proud of myself for Mm -hmm. following through with like this desire and following through this thing that I really wanted. Then I think that's an awesome feeling. But I, as long as, if the there's a day side. where yeah. yeah, if there's a day where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just so exhausted. I really need mm-hmm. to, you know, take a rest or I'm gonna like order in for my favorite restaurant and just like be cozy on the couch all day. I'm so proud of myself for taking care of myself in this moment. Like I think that's that can be like a really positive thing. As does that make sense? Oh, it makes so much sense. You can be proud of yourself, but on the flip side, you can't, you know, beat yourself up. You know, exactly. and you can also have pride in resting. Totally. And I, I think there's a I think there's a lot of positivity that can come from really being excited and being proud of yourself for growth and for learning new things and for challenging yourself, whether whether that challenge is that you need to practice resting more or whether that challenge is that you, you know, want to push yourself in that awesome workout class or whatever it is and have it be more about like the process and the journey and what you're learning and how, and how you're really like showing up for yourself versus the end result. Exactly. I love that. Are you cool if we go slightly over? Yeah, of course. Okay. Cause I'm just loving this conversation. I never want it to end kind of like your book <laughs> when I was reading I it. <laughs> to come to New York so we can all hang out in person. Yes. Yes. No boobies necessary. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I'm, I'm no longer, I'm no longer nursing or pumping. So I'll keep them, I'll keep them strapped away. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you dropped the I word a little bit there when you were talking about fitness, which is the intuitive word, Mm -hmm. which I know is one thing that you are A, very passionate about, B, very expertise in. That's not proper English. And C, is something that you help a lot of women with. So I I know this could be a full podcast in and of itself, but it sounds like I'm just going to draw the conclusion that the way you just described exercise, you know, when you notice rules and shoulds and structure and and that your self-worth is tied to how you exercise. Would you say intuitive eating is, you know, the exact same thing, how you should eat intuitively and not put the rules and the structures and the shoulds and not tie your self-worth to your food? Yeah, absolutely. Nailed it. That's a, a, you totally nailed it. (laughs) So, that's something, I mean, in your book and in your life that I know you're a huge proponent of. And are you able to just, I don't know, either share like the first steps that you took or that you help others take to start eating intuitively or share like what a day in your intuitive eating life looks like? Or like, what's the best way to communicate to listeners, like how they can get started with this? 
Sure. I can totally share like what kind of the first steps look like and also what it sounds like to me right now. Yeah, that's great. Um, first step is pretty similar to what I shared about movement. Like you really can't eat intuitively when the rules and the shoulds are super loud. So I, I like to think about if you have like a radio and there's two dials and like, if you, I mean, no one uses radios with dials anymore, but like imagine, imagine podcast earbuds (laughs) when dinosaurs were roaming the land and there were radios with dials and there's like a dial on the right and a dial on the left. And if you think about the one on the left, it's like the external rules and shoulds and like everything that you've read in fitness magazines and everything that you, you know, people are telling you to do like on social media and whatever it might be. That's like all of the external rules and shoulds, which is where we, which is where we get a lot of, you know, our internal rules. So if you think about that and then on the opposite side is your, is your inner voice. So what you really need, what your like what your truest self needs and what your body's craving and what would help you feel good. That's on the other side. And I like to think about, you know, if you're going to eat intuitively, you've got to turn down the external noise to like turn that dial down and you really got to turn up the internal noise and turn up that inner voice. And that's like your intuition, you know, your, your truest self's voice and, and hearing what, hearing what that is. And so when you start to notice the rules and the shoulds, all of those external voices, it's about identifying them and starting to eliminate them. So sometimes that can look like, um, you know, that can involve like a social media cleanse or, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, social media detox where you're unfollowing accounts or unfollowing pages or whatever of messages that are triggering to you. And what I, I really want to make it clear that it's what's triggering to you. It doesn't mean that the person that you're unfollowing has an eating disorder or mm-hmm. is a bad person. It's none of that. It does not mean that. It just means that for whatever reason, at this point in your life, you're not able to take in their, their messages and also hear yourself. So yes. it's like right now, I just have to quiet this external noise and external rules and really focus on myself and, and whatever those, you know, whatever those are, maybe you're deleting a, maybe you're deleting a calorie counting app. Maybe you're unfollowing an account. Maybe you're taking note of all of the rules that you have around food and starting to work one by one at creating more freedom, um, around that rule. And so that was really a huge, huge first step. And, and it it doesn't happen in one day, you know, that takes time. Um, but that's definitely big because the less, the less like outside noise we have, the more we can hear the inside noise. And then, you know, from there really getting curious with yourself, asking yourself like, what, what am I in the mood for? Like, what would feel good? What am I craving? Do I want something hot or cold or crunchy or creamy? And like, just really getting curious because rules are full of judgment and we want to let go of that judgment and really shift into curiosity. And so the more questions you can ask yourself, the better, like you're really trying to have this relationship with yourself. You're dating yourself. You're getting to know yourself. And so it's a common theme here. Like, yeah, you've got to be, you've got to be inquisitive. You've got to be curious with yourself. And, and for me right now, like my relationship with food is really easy. It's really, I don't, I honestly don't give it a lot of thought anymore. I don't have any rules. I make sure that when I grocery shop, I buy a lot of food that I'm going to be excited to see when I open, when I open the refrigerator, open it, open the cabinet. I've got food around that I know that I enjoy, that I know that I like. And I, I really operate the majority of the time off of my body's signals. It's like, am I hungry? Cool. What, what do I like? I know in the morning, like I am a sweet person, not a savory person most of the time. So I make sure that I've got foods around for breakfast that are sweeter. And that's something that I learned about myself over time. I love eggs, but I don't really eat them in the morning. I eat them later on in the day. So Hmm. 
I listen to my hunger and I eat something that is going to sound good and is going to meet my needs for that day. So like on a weekend where I don't have anything going on, like eating, you know, eating like a big pancake breakfast would be awesome because even if I feel a little bit sleepy afterwards, it's not a big deal. I don't have anything to do. But on a day where I have six back-to-back client calls, I'm probably not going to eat a pancake breakfast because I don't want to feel lethargic. I'll want to eat something that I know is going to make me have more energy. So choosing foods that are going to meet my needs for the day that always sound good and delicious to me. And if I'm craving something, I eat it. Like I don't, I don't like try and ignore my cravings or push it down. If there's something that sounds really wonderful, like chocolate in the morning, I eat chocolate in the morning or I have, you know, like a baked good at breakfast or, or whatever it might be. And literally just throughout the day, like some days I snack a lot. Some days I don't snack that much. It depends on, it depends on my hunger. And I really have like no rules around that. And outside of like really listening to my body and just naturally responding, there are a few times where I would say I eat outside of that, which would be social situations. Like Mm -hmm. if I'm out to dinner with friends and I'm, I'm not super hungry, but someone's celebrating a birthday and like, I'm already full, like I'm for sure going to have a slice of birthday cake because that's fun. And I want to feel connected and and I want to eat in a way that honors my values. And like some of my biggest values in life are, are connection. Mm-hmm. I, one of my biggest values is connection. So like, I'm going to, I'm going to eat in a way that helps me to feel connected to the people around me and like the experiences. And then also if I have like a super scheduled day and I know there are only specific times that I can eat, then I'm going to eat during those times. Because, you know, if I have three back-to-back calls and I know I won't be able to eat for three hours, but I'm not quite hungry yet. I'm pretty sure I'm probably going to get hungry in the next three hours. So I just eat then. So it's listening to my body, but in a realistic way, like there are some days where I'm not going to do that perfectly, but I'm just going to take care of myself. I love how you said, you know, you choose your food based on, you know, how you know, it's going to make you feel essentially. That's my wording, but basically what you said, and it goes back to what we said in the beginning, which is, you know, choosing your emotions. Yeah. Like, you just get to choose anything you want to do. Totally. <laughs> I mean, yes. bottom line here. And that's yes. and that's so different than how you used to be. And if you can get to this place from all your shoulds, all your rules, all your structure, and all your just feelings choosing you, your emotions choosing you, your food being driven by like things you download from the internet, I don't know. If you can get to the, the day you just described, which is like, as peaceful as anyone I've ever heard explain their relationship with food, then anyone can do it. I totally agree. I I could not agree more. I really think that it is available to everyone. And I hope if someone's struggling with their relationship with food that's listening to this, that they can just see a little light at the end of the tunnel. Because I agree. If I can do it, definitely you can. (laughs) And if you can wear shorts, let's talk about that for a hot sec. Anyone can. It's so funny because you have a whole chapter dedicated to shorts and your thighs. And if anyone's listened to a few episodes of my podcast, they know that I've said arguably too many a times that my biggest body insecurity is my thighs. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you've been in the same camp and you're rocking the shorts nowadays. And I love that you quoted Sarah Silverman, who said, Mother Teresa didn't walk around complaining about her thighs. She had shit to do. (laughs) I love that quote so much. I'm like, where on my body should I get this tattoo? Maybe my thigh. Maybe I should get a tattoo on my thigh. (laughs) That's so funny. So like, are you over your thigh thing? You wear shorts? You rock it? Yeah. I just wear them. I'm like, at this point in my life, I'm like, I am just not, I'm not willing to give more than like a fleeting thought to something that is going to 
that is going to keep me from being present with the things that I care about. That's like really how I feel. Like, could I stand in front of a mirror and pick apart my body or look at my thighs or compare my thighs to other Everyone people? Everyone can. Or, right. Totally. I absolutely could go to that place, but I'm just at a point now in my life where I'm choosing not to go to that place. Right. And Choose so again. I'm like, I'm just going <laughs> to, yes, I'm just going to put on shorts and I'm going to go outside and I'm not going to like be sweating in like sweatpants in the middle of summertime <laughs> were, because oh like God, that's, that, that is distracting. <laughs> yes, I know. You're so funny in that chapter. You're like, I'm sitting here in swamp ass and they're like walking around in shorts and like, oh my God, so funny. Yes, choose the shorts, choose to not judge your body, choose your feelings, choose your food based how, uh, you know, you want to feel all of it. So I know we're running over. So a few questions just in general about your book. It's amazing. I mean, I really, I'm not just like tooting your horn here. It's a phenomenal book. And thank you so much. Oh my God. I'm wondering why did you decide to go with a memoir over more of like a self-help style? Cause that's unusual in our day and age, I would say to write just a book full of stories, but you use the stories to teach. Yeah. So what? it was like a very, it was a very like in the moment decision I had started. So the original proposal that I had submitted for the book was going to be called Stop Freaking the F Out 10, like basically it was going to be 10 steps and it was going to be very like traditional self-help. And I started writing that book and I was just like, freaking oh the my F God, out. this book. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I was like, this book is boring. I wouldn't even want to read this. I don't even connect to this kind of book. Like I wouldn't want to pick this up off of a shelf. I also am someone who like, when there are like, when there's a self-help book and there's like a lot of like reflective questions or whatever, I always skip over them. I'm like, Oh, I'll go back and do those later. Only I never do. And so I am, I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm putting all this time into like creating these questions and I would never even do them myself. And so anyways, a hundred pages into that self-help book, I just threw it all out. I like put it in my, I put it, it was like a, an impulsive moment. I put it in the trash can on my computer and then emptied out the trash. And I was like, well, that's gone. Like I'm not doing that. And started, I was like, how do I learn the best? And I, I really, for me personally, like I learned the best from conversations and from people sharing their personal experiences and personal stories and just like relating on those things. So I was like, okay, I need to just do this in my way, in the way that like I would learn the best and that I would connect the best because I mean, I'm not Gabby Bernstein. Like, it's not like I'm famous. It's not like I have you know, a million people who, who want to read my book. So I was like, there's a really good chance only like my close friends and family are going to read this book. And so I might as well just that's be a like limiting belief. happy. <laughs> right. That's true. That's a limiting Shut it belief. Down. But <laughs> I, I was like, there's a really good chance that, you know, only people who I know are going to read this. So I might as well just write it in a way that I'm going to feel so proud and happy of like when it's finished that I'm going to love this book. And if nobody reads it, like it won't matter because I'll love it so much and I'll love that I did it in my own way. And so I went back to square one and just started writing stories. And I knew that I could share the same like principles from the original concept of the book, like through my stories, Mm -hmm. because that's how I learned them. So I was like, I know... I know the substance will come through just in like a slightly different way. So that was kind of why I, that was why I pivoted only because, um, it just didn't, the way I originally tried to write the book just felt really inauthentic. And I'm like, how can I be writing a book about like learning to accept who you really are in a way that like is not even who I really am. Mm. Funny enough, Gabby Bernstein does teach through stories. (laughs) Yes, I know. I love, I love (laughs) Gabby Bernstein and I love her books and 
I, yeah, she's like such a, she's such an incredible inspiration. And like the parts of her books where she shares personal stories have, have like been so impactful to me. And Spirit Junkie is like the book I've read the most in my entire life. Like I just, I won't loan anyone my copy. It's like so disheveled. There's so many notes in it. I just love it. It's the same with me and Admore Ng. Her books, she comes up so much on this podcast. <laughs> Gabby, awesome. someday she'll be on it. Uh, okay, so she will be. What, how do you keep up with all your stories, though? I mean, you said you learned all your lessons through stories. And in your book, you have like 30 like really poignant stories. I don't think I could even come up with 30 even mediocre stories if I tried. Have you always looked at your life through the lens of stories? I love stories and I love storytelling. And my mom, my mom jokes that when I was little, like, you know how you go to preschool and they're like, they, you know, it's like Friday and like everyone shares something around like the circle. My mom would joke that like she would come pick me up and the teacher would always be like, well, we can't wait to hear what Simi has to tell us tomorrow. So I think (laughs) I've always like really, I think I've always really liked to tell stories. And my dad, my dad was like a really, really big storyteller and just always like always would captivate us with his with his stories and so I think I just grew up in in a family that like really valued the art of storytelling and so I guess I would say that in hindsight that is how I view certain experiences in my life like as stories and I love to I mean I love to talk to my friends I love to share things with them so I guess like even in that way it's like very casual storytelling but I just I appreciate it and I love when people open up to me and and share their stories too. Have you ever told your stories live? No. Have you ever thought about it? I don't know. I haven't. I haven't like really, I haven't really thought about that, but no, I never have. Think about it. I just signed up actually for a live storytelling thing. My dad, so I used to do stand up and my dad was inspired by me doing stand up to start doing storytelling, like the moth, not actually the moth, but like you've heard of the moth. Yes. Okay. So like similar to the moth, but like this local thing in Connecticut. And he's done like four stories. And a few weeks ago, he emailed me. He's like, do you want to do a story with me in May? And I was (gasps) like, hell yeah, I do. (sighs) So I'm doing it in front of 300 people on this big stage. And I was, I'm reading your book. I'm like, Simi has to tell her stories. You would be phenomenal. So just something to think about planting the seed. I love that. And that is so freaking special that you get to go do that with your dad. And also, like, I love that he was so inspired by you. And after seeing you MC at the Good Fest, I'm like, you are going to crush it Thanks. on that stage. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yes. But you have to tell your stories because they are amazing. So amazing. Now, okay, last question about your book. And then we'll talk about the plants and then we'll bounce. I'm just going to keep Perfect. you all day. I'm so sorry. I just, I love you. <laughs> what can I, I, say? I love you back. This is so fun. Talk to me about your writing process. I'm just, I know that's like a funny question, but like, what did you do to get into the writing mode? Or like, did you snack or sip on something? And, you know, how would you kind of channel your energy into this book? Oh my gosh. Well, I hope that this feels encouraging to everyone listening that literally anyone can write a book and you do not have to have a fancy process because I think before right before having this writing experience, in my mind, I always imagined I was like, when you write a book, uh-huh. you like rent like a gorgeous like house <laughs> in like Cape Cod, and you like look out over the ocean. I was like imagining I was in a Nancy Myers movie. Is really what was yes! happening, and like that's what I thought it was. But this it basically like ninety percent of this book was written in my car in my garage because what? I was yes, I was nursing and no. I was nursing Osh and and working at home, and so in between, in between feedings, um, someone was with him in the house. I don't want to make it sound like I was like leaving him like alone in the house, but 
I would jump out to go out to my car and write in like little bursts because the Wi-Fi stretches to our garage and it was like a quiet place where I could be completely confined. So I would go out there for like little bursts. And Just sit in like your back seat, your front seat, your trunk, in your my passenger seat. seat. In my front seat, I would slide the front seat back as far as it would go. Oh, I got a little, I got a little like outlet plug for my for my Prius, and I would open the garage door so that I didn't like suffocate myself, and then turn the car on, oh and like God. I would write out in I'm the car. Dark. And <laughs> I also drove around with my laptop so that if Oak what? fell asleep in the oh, back okay. seat of the car, you weren't te- typing, writing, and driving. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I I would have it in my car so that if he fell asleep for a nap, I would pull over on the side of the road and write until he woke up because I like didn't want to miss like that time. So. It was basically written in like all of these weird little like bursts, mostly wow. in my car. Oh my and God. And my process was basically that every day I had to write two Word document pages. So okay. I would write two Word document pages and I just needed to do whatever I needed to do to get to those two Word document pages. And this was after like months of saying that I was going to write and then not writing and then writing a little bit and then hating it and then throwing out those hundred pages. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, I've got to, I have, I was like sick of it. I was like, I'm sick of this. I just want this to be done. Like I need to just be a little bit more disciplined with this. And so I made myself write two word document pages a day and I would just do whatever I needed to do to make it happen. And most of it was in my car. So it's like the least inspiring or luxurious like writing process, but it's finished and it's done now. (laughs) And you feel amazing. Yes, totally. I'm speechless. I've you wrote it in your Prius. I that's the best <laughs> thing I've heard in a very long time. That's I, phenomenal. Have you ever seen the movie Lincoln Lawyer with um, no. Matthew McConaughey? Oh, it's like I don't know if you like legal dramas, but they're like my favorite. It's like my <laughs> I favorite. I wonder why. Genre. It's like I know, right? A legal thriller is like my favorite. Oh, and I kind of do like that. I like yeah, Law and Order. You should watch it. You should watch a uh, Lincoln Lawyer. It's really good. Okay, wrote and, it down. And, um, we were joking that I was like the Lincoln lawyer because I was doing all my work out of my car. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, yeah, if you can do that, and it, again, you're just you. Anything you can do, we can do. I don't totally. Know. I just anything like, I can do, you can do better. <laughs> no, I wasn't gonna say that. <laughs> Literally, oh my God, I love it. No, anything you can do, we can do. Also, (laughs) so funny. Okay, plant questions, then we out. What is your favorite plant party restaurant? Oh my gosh. Well, there was a restaurant in Chicago called Karen's Cooked. Um, Oh, I've been there. I traveled like across the country to go there. I mean, almost. My favorite. It closed though. Oh, really? She had her like raw, her cooked, the whole thing. Yes. Oh my gosh, I know. And she had cooked on green and raw, but cooked was the best, I think. And so that was that was my favorite, and it will be my favorite for all time. Um, but also in Columbus, we have an awesome we have this awesome cafe called Alchemy, and I love it. They've got like smoothies and bowls and soups, and it's amazing. Yum, plants. What's your favorite plant to eat? My favorite plant to eat uh, right now. I'm having like a weird love affair. This is like a, such a lame vegetable, but I'm having a weird love <laughs> affair with butter lettuce, and I like recently <laughs> rediscovered it, and I just want to make so many butter lettuce salads. So. Today, the answer is butter lettuce, but if you asked me in a week, it would probably be something different. I did see it in your stories yesterday or Yes, today. I can't I can't stop with the butter lettuce. <laughs> so what do you do with it? Just salads? Yeah, and you just like make salads with it. I just, it feels like so silky to me. I'm just like, this should be like called butter. silk lettuce. But smooth yeah. like butter. Totally. What's your most used kitchen tool? Uh, Vitamix. Nice. What is a book that has massively inspired you? Spirit Junkie. I saw that one coming. <laughs> and 
And finally, where can peeps go to hang out with you some more? You recently launched a Facebook community. You have a book. You have e-courses. You have coaching. Where can every You write awesome, beautiful blogs. I mean, they're just like little snippets of your book. Where should everybody go for all the stuff? Um, Simibodich.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Simi Bodich and the Facebook community is called Beautifully Imperfect. So those are like the three main places. It's Bodich. Yep. Wow. But it doesn't look like that. Who gets that right? Nobody. Literally no one gets it right. (laughs) Nobody. Oh my God. Why? Why is the T a a ch? I know. Well, it's hilarious because like there's there were years in my life where I just introduced myself as Simi Bodic because that's how people said it. So I was like, well, I might as well just get on board. This is what it is <laughs> now, I guess. <laughs> that's funny. I used to in high school, people called me Talia. Uh-huh. And I just rolled with it. I would introduce myself as Talia and my parents would be like, what are you doing? I'm like, that's my name. Like, that's not your name. <laughs> <laughs> I changed it back to Talia when I graduated high school. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. Well, good thing I just learned that so I can say it correctly when I intro you, when I uh, promote this, put this out. There you, there you, there go. you go. You're totally going to say it right. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. Well, Simi, thank you so incredibly much for coming on and sharing your joy and your successes and your stories and your wisdom and, and the whole kit and caboodle. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a, such a wonderful time together. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. I hope you're feeling 100,000% amped to stop focusing on being perfect all the time. Ain't no one got time for perfection, yo. As Simi says, perfection is a moving target. Why would you chase a target that's moving? That makes no sense. And it's a giant waste of time. Instead, spend your time wearing shorts eating birthday cake. And I have a great recipe for it linked for you in the show notes. Funfetti, baby. Exercising in ways that bring you actual joy and giddiness. And laying in bed with a mushroom tea. Don't forget you can save 15% on Four Sigmatic's epic mushroom tea with code party in my plants at checkout on their website. But lay in bed with your mushroom tea, reading Simi's truly laugh out loud and tear out of eye book, Letting Go of Leo. I've linked her book and a bajillion takeaways and tips from our chat in the show notes, which live at partyinmyplants.com slash 77. And I would feel absolutely perfect if you'd share this episode with someone who you think could put some effort into putting in less effort. You know what I mean? All right. Again, thanks for listening and well, have a great day.